0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical
1: costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology, and life. Hello, I'm Bruce Daisley.
2: I'm Ellen Scott.
1: Hi, I'm Matt. Today's episode is an exploration into incentives and how we try to engineer decisions. And and this was a conversation that you wanted to have, Matt. What what was the what was the appeal of today's guest?
3: Partly when I read Uri's work was just how much I loved how great a storyteller he is. He has so many wonderful stories. From across history, not just modern world of work, of incentives and signals often being designed wrong, which kind of creates quite a humorous outcome of the story. And it just made approaching his work so much easier. Because originally, when I came across it, I was thinking, wow, this could be quite heavy. We're, we're digging into psychology of incentives, of rewards. And yeah, it was it was really light reading in in a sense. And it's a real joy to hear him talk through many of the stories. And one of the reasons that it fascinated me was so often at work, many of the conversations we're having around rituals around recognition come down to what are we incentivizing? What are we actually wanting as a result to happen? What behaviors do we want to incentivize? And all too often, we're not necessarily thinking that all the way through. And I just loved Uri's approach to common sense signals.
1: Yeah, I think I think the reason why I found that appealing is that I've worked in no shortage of organisations where big bosses suddenly announce an incentive scheme or a, a way to try to change the the results, the performance of an organisation. And they just seem to be so counter to common sense or to a sense of team that, yeah, I, I was really fascinated to hear his work because of that. Should we dive in and maybe come back after the chat? Here's our conversation with the economist Uri Gnisi. One of the topics that
3: is often present is this idea of incentives and bonuses and motivation. So that's one of the reasons that I'm just so excited to talk to you. Yeah, I guess your book for me was a bit of a game changer when I came across Mixed Signals. The bit before that, kind of, I had Dan Pink in my mind, rethinking motivation in the modern world of work. And then I came across your book and it really just opened up that whole field for me, got me thinking completely differently about incentives. I'd love just to hear in your own words, how you'd summarize your research and what's so exciting about it for you.
4: Yeah, so what, what I'm talking about in the book is really about how incentives are never just the incentives, but they also send you some kind of signal. They have a meaning, right? So it's not just that they give you money. It's not just that they praise you. It's not just that whatever the incentive that I'm giving you, I'm also give, sending you a signal about how important this is to me, what I think about you, and what I think about the job. So there is all you know range of information that is revealed by incentives and too often this information aspect is ignored. And that's what I'm trying to highlight in my research and in my book.
3: Yeah. And one of the things that stuck out to me really early on that kind of struck me was this idea that we're kind of always responding to incentives and and signals to use that language, whether we know it or not, whether we've designed them or not, we're pretty much always Responding to some kind of signal, I'd love if you could just give us a few examples of that and why it's so important to then think intentionally about them.
4: Right. So we always respond to incentives. That's not a new statement, I think, but it's true. The problem is that we don't always guess what the incentives will do. Very often, we come up with something and we believe we have strong intuition, but then people either read it differently or they find a way to re- to game the system. That's one of the things that I like to look at ways in which people game the system. So about hundred years ago, the French were occupying uh, what's Vietnam today. In Hanoi, they introduced the sewer system, which is very French of them, of course. And then when uh, they introduced the sewer system, they also got rats running around. They didn't like the rats. They had a great idea. Let's um, pay people to kill the rats. Instead of us sending experts, let let you know let the people do that. So they, they had the poor guy who sat in the city hall and counted rat tails. So people would bring him rat tails, and he would pay them say a penny per rat tail. Sounds like a great a great plan, right? I would be very much in support of some version of this, and I would think that it's great. But then of course people learned how to game it. People suddenly the, you you had lots of uh, tailless rats running around the city because the people caught them, cut the the tail and let them go because they can still have babies without tails. They, they started having uh, rat farms. They started importing, importing rats from other places. So incentives work. We just need to understand how they work. Very often I talk with uh, with companies and they tell me, oh, we tried incentives and it doesn't work. So for me, it's like saying, you know, I went to a bad uh, Japanese restaurant and my conclusion is that Japanese food is bad. No, you just went to a bad Japanese restaurant. Same is true for incentive. You know, you just I didn't try the right incentives. That's my uh, my take on this.
2: What are the wrong incentives that we tend to try? Like, what's the equivalent in work of bad sushi or a bad Japanese restaurant?
4: The most common one is just pay you to do something, right? So I'll pay you something and you'll do it or give you a fine if you don't do it. And very often, for example, if the incentives are too small, people do the opposite, right? So... One of my earlier studies, when I was still a young assistant professor, we lived close to Tel Tel Aviv at the time in a suburb, and our daughters went to a daycare over there. They went to the daycare. We were supposed to pick them up by 4 p.m. in the afternoon. I remember eating lunch in Tel Aviv and then driving like crazy because there was traffic and we were late and you need to pick up your kids on time. But then the, the principal of the school, of the daycare, introduced a fine, a $3 fine for parents who came 10 minutes late. Again, we were in Tel Aviv, again, traffic. This time I didn't drive like crazy because I'm not going to risk my life for 10 for. 10 shekels, $3, right? So it completely changed my perception of what am I doing, right? The incentives work, but in a very different way than was intended. By the way, you can think about different reasons for this. You can think about maybe I'm paying for babysitting services. We like, so I ran an experiment based on this uh, with Aldo Rostockini. We thought that it's really about the information piece that you get, right? So we had a few dakers. in some of them we had fined, some were controlled. What was interesting was that after we canceled the control the fine so the control and the fine group now both did not have a fine we saw, we saw that the group that had the fine before continued to be late right so they when there was a fine they were more likely to be late than when there wasn't that's like my experience but they continue to do so later and the, the explanation is really about information before that we as parents didn't know how bad it is to be late now we know that it's only three dollar bad and it's fine I might do it That's an example of incentive that worked, but in a very different way than we expected. It
3: It seems like there's this tension, maybe not tension, but choice then between obviously the type of incentive and maybe certainly what I was getting through with that example is this idea of kind of a pro-social incentive versus a monetary incentive. And I just wanted to get your sense in, does it make sense to say one is more effective or powerful than the other? Or does it completely depend on the situation?
4: No. So you cannot get a general conclusion that one is better than the other. I can tell you that pro-social incentive, the pro-social incentive would be, for example, I'll tell you, please donate blood. So donating blood is unpleasant. You go... You have to spend a couple of hours, someone sticks a needle into you, it's unpleasant. But the fact that it's unpleasant, it's actually nice to you in terms of what maybe we'll get the chance to talk about later, uh, self-signaling, you feel good about yourself because you, you contributed, you did something that was painful to help others. That's, that's great. If I pay you f- to do this, I'm going to destroy this self-signaling. You're not going to feel good about yourself anymore. But if instead of that, so if I pay you, so it depends how much I pay you, right? So if I pay you $50, you might decide not to do that. If I pay you $50,000 to do it, I, I'll, I'll go. I'll donate blood. You'll get my blood for $50,000, right? That's, uh, sign me in. And that's true, by the way, for the daycare example as well. If you think about it, if the fine was not $3, in some places in the US it's $5 a minute. then it's meaningful. I heard about a place near Paris in which, if you're late to pick up your kid, uh, they take you to the police station and you have to pick up your kid from the police station. That's meaningful, right? But going back to the to reality in which Black Bank cannot offer you $50,000, dollars, if instead of, of offering you $50, they'll say, okay, we'll give you $50 and you can donate it to the, any charity that you want. That could actually reinforce the, the good feeling. You can actually feel good about yourself because you're not taking it to yourself. The point is that with $50, make it for, you know, maybe if I go back to myself as a student, $50 would were lots of money you know, at that time today, less so. But if you can pay only a small amount, giving this kind of social incentives is makes lots of sense because it doesn't, crowd out what we call the motivation but if you can pay fifty thousand dollars i give me the money I, I find the charity like my cigars uh, are a good charity i think to spend this uh, this money. so it really depends on for example on the amount of money on the kind of work that you do on how much you need the money and, and so on because
3: you have yeah we well, talked about self-signaling and this this notion of mixed signals. And in that blood donation example, the mixed signal that gets sent when you start offering money, I guess is maybe I'm not doing this because I'm a good person. I'm doing this because I want the money. You have a really interesting example of a restaurant that experimented with people paying what they want and a number of different experiments within that to see what was the most effective, when people knew, when they didn't. I'd love it if you could share that example, because for me, that was unexpected.
4: Sure. Imagine that you go to a restaurant near your work. It's a strange restaurant instead that it's a in, in the sense that it's a buffet. Okay, one, and you go there once every couple of weeks. But it's strange in the sense that there is no price for it. It uses what's called pay what you want. Now, what you do, you go there, you eat, and then on your way out, you need to pay the manager. Pass by, let's call him Steve. You pass by Steve and you have to pay Steve uh, for your lunch. And you can choose any amount. You can pay him zero up to whatever you want. How much are you going to pay him? Um, I think probably five pounds. Five pounds, seven pounds, right? That, that's a reasonable price for lunch. Why would, you pay, why would you pay this?
2: I think because that's how much I would normally pay for lunch. Typically, if I was going to like pret or somewhere, it would end up being more expensive. So I need it to be a good deal, but I can't pay nothing if I have to walk past the manager because that would be really uncomfortable. Perfect.
4: You you got an A on the test. Exactly what I was hoping to get. Yes, thank you. Um, Basically, the the argument that the the, the reasoning that you had was look, I can't pass by the guy, by this stiff guy and pay nothing. I'm not, I'll feel like a jerk, right? So that's what we call uh, signaling to others or social signaling. You, Steve is going to watch you, even if he's not your friend. Sometimes, you know, even if those are people that you don't really care about, you you care about uh, the image that you have. Now imagine that you are in a different situation. Everything is exactly the same, but instead of paying Steve, when you're still seated, you decide how much. We give you an envelope. Put the money, the, the envelope, in a box on your way out. So no one will ever know how you, Ellen, how much you, Ellen, gave. We'll know at the end how much all the people gave, but we won't never know how much you gave. Right? How much are you going to give now? So that's the question, right? So now there's no social signaling, but I think that if I'll ask you about the reasoning, the reasoning will be not, you know, I don't want Steve to look at me in an awkward way because Steve will never know. It will be, Look, I feel bad about myself. I feel like a jerk if I if I pay nothing. They worked hard. They prepared the food. It's nice. I want to come back. It's, I, I I'm not that kind of a person. Right? And yeah. That's what we call self signaling, right? So same situation, almost the same situation. Just we just change the whether it's in an envelope or you pay directly, and very different perception of what uh, paying means, right? So and that's what we call the first one when you pay Steve. It's social signaling. The second one is self-signaling. And what we found when we ran the experiment, we found that people paid very similar to what you said, five, six uh, euros. It was in Austria. But when they put it in an envelope, they paid about a euro more. So they paid more money when they put it in, uh, in an envelope. Basically, what it tells you is that these signals don't necessarily add up. So economists would look at it as, oh, you're paying Steve. You do it because you want Steve to think highly about you and you're going to feel good. What we're showing is that Feel the good feeling is actually uh, not there because you think that you did it just because Steve is there, right? So that's the kind of reason. So the, the importance of self signaling is that we all want to to appear nice to ourselves, right? So we don't really know. Am I a nice guy? Well, I don't know. I, I get sometimes I do nice things, sometimes less nice things. I don't know what they look at my action and they learn from them. I get signals from them about my personality, my identity. And if I can pay an extra euro and feel good about myself, that's, that's a good deal.
2: If you become aware of that, though, does that stop it from working, if that makes sense? If you start knowing, okay, I'm only doing this because I want to seem like a good person. Will you still keep doing it?
4: For sure, you become more annoyed, like me. Uh, it's the same question about placebo. Is placebo still going to work if you know it's a placebo? Probably less so, right? So, probably less. And
1: what, what barriers are there to organisations doing this? Because I can imagine that you might have someone thinking about these things and and trying to sort of adapt either customer behaviour or employee behaviour. But I'd I'd have thought it would kind of proved difficult to sell in inside organizations what methods have you seen that organizations have effectively adopted it either with customers or employees
4: so you can think about I'm trying to think about there are many examples. Think about the famous towels uh, example in hotels, right? They're asking you to reuse the towel. Now, in some places that they, they can, it's always a problem with what, the, with the way they ask, because clearly they are making money when you are re- reusing your towel. So if they uh, imagine that you go to rent a car and there'll be a big sign, are you, do you really need to rent a car? Do it's good public transportation. They're not going to say it. Think about the environment. S- save our whatever all the green messages it's aligned with with the hotel's profit maximizing right so that it's really i think important how they phrase it right so if they say for example i've seen places that said it's really good all that we're going to save for each towel that you reuse we're going to save i don't know a dollar and we're going to donate to a fund a green fund right that's that's a strong message to me right that Again, tying it back to the social incentives that we talked about before. Don't pay me a dollar to reuse a towel. I'm paying $300 for the hotel. I'll be cheap with the towels. That will make me feel really bad. Give the money to a green cause. And I'll say, wow, you know what? You're right. At home, I never wash my towels after you know one use. Why should I do it at the hotel? I can reuse it. I'll hang it. Everything is okay, right? So uh, that I think that that's an example. I, I don't know. Did it answer your question? Yeah, very much so. In many cases, organizations can decide when they ask you to do something. They can decide whether to attach some kind of incentive to it. And they think that it's important as a parent, right? So as a parent, you're trying to educate your kids, and there are things that are that you want them to do, and there are things that are really important, right? So think about homework. They don't do their homework. You can you get upset at them, and you know. So you can. I don't know what what you want to do. Maybe no, you know, no, no screen time for the rest of the day or something like that. But then there are things that they do, like they can run to the to the road suddenly. And then you want them to understand that that's a different situation, right? That's Then you want to use your worst possible punishment. So you can raise your voice at them, whatever it is that you do. You don't want to, right? So you have even within this non-monetary only praises and whatever uh, comments that you can give, there are different levels and you want to use them wisely. And I think that organizations can do the same and it doesn't have to be monitored. If you work in a place in which you you must walk around with a hard hat, you can decide what to do with people. You can, uh, you can just ask them, you can tell them, you can warn them, or you can find them. But if you find them, make sure that the fine is considerable enough.
3: Your example of the uh, towels in a hotel made me think of another example you give around discounts on cars, discounts on anything really, that whether or not you think it's worth it is how proportional it is to the actual price of things. And I believe the term you used was mental accounting or something. Yeah, how how we bucket things differently. Right. That's a really interesting quirk that would be yeah, interesting to hear from you, how that plays out when we are seeing incentives.
4: Sure. So that's not my term. I'm using uh, someone else's term. But the idea is that not all money created equal. right? So imagine that you go to buy a car. I worked with a car company, online car company, and they sent people to dealership to buy cars. And they want you to go and buy the car using the link that they have. So they gave people incentives. Let's say that it was 2.5% discount, which is a lot. So if you buy a $20,000 car, it's $500. $500 is a lot of money, right? It's not so much relative to the car, right? So think about uh, an example that I like. Imagine that you go to buy a computer mouse you go to the store and it's $50, but the guy tells you, look, if you'll go 10 minutes away, they have a special over there, the same mouse, only $25. Many of us will do that. Now imagine the same story, you go to buy a computer, a $2,000 computer, and the guy tells you, but you know, if you'll go to the store 10 minutes from here, you can buy a computer, the same computer for $1,975. Then you'll say, ah, no, for $25, I'm not going to do it, right? So the same is true with the, with the car. $500 is a lot of money, but Not so much relative to the old deal of buying a $20,000 car. Now, what we did with this company is gave name to this discount, to this incentive. So instead of $500, we looked for something that people really hate paying. Turns out that people really hate paying for gas within the car world, right? Really hate paying for gas. So we told them, if you'll use the link to buy the car, you'll get a $500 gas card. So you can use it to refill your car. Now that's already, that we have the mental image of us looking at the pump. Prices are high. It's very expensive. But no, I can use this car. That's that's a lot, right? So we have this mental image and we can really feel good about ourselves when we do that. And that's basically the, the idea over here, that we can find things that are more costly. That's the mental accounting aspect of it. We can find things that We feel are more costly, even if money-wise they are the same. So money is fungible, right? I can use it for, in the computer example, the twenty-five dollars I can use to buy lunch, no matter if it's because of a mouse or or a computer, but in terms of my perception it's very different and the same is true over here $500 out of $20,000 that's you know that's nice but it's not that big $500 to fill up the car that's a lot that's something that really resonates with me and i really remember and take it into account and that's what we found that it was much more effective
3: i love that example because i think we can all relate to it in different ways i mean certainly for me on a night out if the taxi happened to be cheaper than i was expecting well now i've got more money for the takeaway when i get back home. And it just feels like on some level, we kind of (laughs) have all experienced that, but then maybe don't take that step when we're designing the signals in our workplace and um, for customers and clients. Bringing it now into kind of internally and into the workplace, one of the things that I imagine, hopefully people listening are starting to think about is, wow, that's actually quite a lot to be thinking about. I'm thinking about the signals that I'm unintentionally sending I'm thinking about the signals that I plan to send and now I'm thinking about what are the mixed signals That are kind of crossing and overlapping. Where should people start when they're beginning to now think intentionally about incentives within the workplace, and specifically maybe narrowing our scope to kind of motivating and supporting employees?
4: Right. So let's think about one example, and then I can I can give the takeaway based on this example. So one example that I talk about in the book is encouraging quality but incentivize quantity. In many, many cases, you go and people tell you, look, quality is all we care about, customer care, and whatever it is, quality is what we are about. But then it's very hard to incentivize quality because it's hard to measure it let's incentivize quantity so think about a call center we have a guy picking up the phone if you tell him look we really care about quality but then pay per call that he takes what do you think will be the outcome it will be faster and the quality of calls will be lower by the way it's it's important going back to the self signaling in signaling others in general when you think about incentives you can think you can take a class in the business school and take it from a psychologist and it all will be all of it will be about fulfillment and I go to work because I want to feel good about myself. Take the same title of a class from an economist. It will be No, you don't want to go to work. You hate going to work. You do it because you need to pay the rent. Now, both of them are clearly straw men. I, at least I don't know about you. I go to work because I want fulfillment. I want to find some, I want to be good at what I'm doing. And I really like the pay at the end of the month, right? that helps me uh, eat. And the question is, how can you channel these two into the same place? So in the example of the call center guy, even if he doesn't care about the money, he doesn't really know what management. Really wants? What, what do they want me to do? When they incentivize the per call, even if it's with a very low amount, you might say, okay, that's what they really care about. Now I know. Now I know what they need. Right? So you have to be very careful. Think about drivers, right? So in uh, I'm from Tel Aviv originally. In Tel Aviv, in the street next to me, there are two types of buses one in which the driver is paid per hour and one in which the driver is paid per passenger. Uh, when they drive per hour, they're much more polite, much more careful, they drive safely and less effective, of course. They're the ones that are paid per passenger are strategizing. They really try to to, to be faster. Sometimes they start driving before you sit down. They're not polite. They're involving more accidents. Everything that comes with it. So they, they, I think that that's a good example. Something that looks like a very small difference in the way we pay the employees make a big difference in reality. And as always, we try to think about ways to solve a problem like this. So think about Uber drivers or you know, any rideshare that I know. They are basically paid per passenger. The more they drive, the better, the more money they make, which is good because then they strategize and they think, where do we need to to be when? They're really trying to to maximize profits in a way that the company cannot do itself because it's not at the place, right? You need the, the person at the place with their experience of the private expense. But then on top of that, they get rating. So they get another level of incentives, which is rating. And if the car will be dirty, if they'll drive like crazy, if whatever they'll do bad, the quality will not be high. They'll get a low rating. And at some point, they won't be able to drive for, for the company. Rideshare companies were able to add another level of incentive that cost them nothing, that really uh, made sure that it's not just quantity. We also care about quality. Now, how do you, how do you design incentives? That was your question. I gave a long introduction. How do we design incentives for people to not to fall in, into this thing? So the first step is really to use common sense. I, I like to think about the world as what we're missing is another C-suite person. So think about CEO, CFO, COO. You also need a common sense officer, someone that will sit there and will tell them, imagine Jane, Jane, her job. Is just she's she's a normal person. We picked her out of the crowd of our uh, customers. She sits on the board and she tells us, "No, this is stupid. This is going to annoy people. This is a good idea, and maybe you should think about it this way." Right? So. Someone with common sense that will sit there and will actually be able to tell you, and, you know, the more you go into engineering or economies, those are people who have less social thinking, right? So get someone that will actually do that. And then the second thing is to run A B test. That's really important. We often think that we know that we understand what's going on, and then we incentives work, like I said before, but they might work in a very different way that we think. Do A B testing all the time, like you would do with the color of the background of your uh, app. Do it also with uh, with behavior of people. What happens if we give them this incentive or that incentive? How does it influence them? And don't stop, by the way, because it's dynamic. People might react like you want at the beginning and it might change. People learn how to game the system. Make sure that you keep doing it, especially if you're online, then it's trivial. Different people will see different incentives and you see what happens to them in the short and in the long run. And those are the things that you should really care about.
1: Have you observed different international patterns? I've worked in American companies and in European companies and the European companies generally had collective team incentives for team behavior and the american companies uh, most frequently had individual incentives and were very reluctant to be persuaded to switch over and i just wonder whether there are international differences or just your perspective on team versus individual objectives and, and targets?
4: So I'll, I'll split it to two. First of all, the cultural aspect. You mentioned American versus European, but even within European, clearly Southern Italian and Northern Italian are different cultures. And even more than that, if you're in the banking industry, maybe Southern Italy and New York will be very similar. But if you look at within San Diego, if you look at professors and teachers and taxi drivers and lawyers and construction people, there is a different culture in each one of them. And you really need to understand the culture. If you want to understand the signal, you need to understand the culture. For example, in the book, I'm talking about incentives for hybrid cars to preserve the environment. If you're the kind of guy that drives your pickup truck and couldn't care less about the environment, I need to send you a very different message. I need to raise the price of gas, right? If you're the person that cares about the environment and cares about things, then I need to give you a very different incentive, which could be information. Let me give you an example with the plastic bottles, right? Uh, recycling is one of the worst things that happened to, to our environment, recycling of plastic bottles, right? Because many of the good people, so you can think about two types of people to make it simple. One that couldn't care less. They want the bottle and they couldn't care less about uh, what it does. And the second one is people who really care about the environment. These people drink the bottle of wine, the plastic bottle of wine, and feel good because they're going to recycle. It turns out that recycling reduces the damage, but by really very little. First of all, many of them don't end up in the recycling, and even those that end up with recycling, it's not that it reduces the damage to zero. So the message that you want to send to the people who care about the environment is: look, drink just for, you know fresh water, like uh, Matt is doing now. Use your uh, bottle. Maybe it's whiskey, I don't know, but uh, drink uh, drink water from your bottle from your from the tap. And if you're someone who cares just about cost or something like that, raise the price to these people or find a way to make it uh, less convenient for them. So that's about the culture. You really need. And that's what when I talked about common sense officer, the common sense officer should tell them, look, that's good for you, but it won't be good for them or or something uh, of that uh, sort. Now, the second part of your question was about team versus individual incentives. And that goes, it's a bit like the quantity versus quality. Companies, even in the U.S., really encourage teamwork. Right. So teamwork, cooperate with your with. Your coworkers. that's what we want. That's, that's the right thing to do. But then very often the incentives are individual, right? So I give you at the end of the year, I'm going to evaluate you, give you bonus, promote you based on your success, not on the team's success, right? So I can tell you about teams as much as I want, but say that a new employee comes to, to the company, it's really important to mentor them. I tell you, Bruce, please mentor the, this person for, for the coming week. And your first thought will be, well, but then I will not be able to get to reach my KPI over here and I won't get the bonus. Why would I do that? Right? So that's a problem. On the other end, you can think about the other extreme. If you just give team incentives, first of all, you get free riding. Why would I do it if I can let Matt, you know, stay a bit longer and do it. And second, you might not be able to attract the best people in the profession. So think about football, right? If you have Messi, Messi would not want to work in a team in which everyone is paid the same. He wants, he's the star, he's the best player in the world. He wants to be compensated for this, right? So it might be harder to get stars. So that's why it's a very delicate thing. But still, in terms of mixed signal, don't say, "I I really care about team performance, but then pay them individually. Make sure that your message is in line with the incentives that you want to give or that way around as well.
2: Once you work out what you're trying to incentivize, how do you work out what the incentive is? Does it always need to be money or can it be other things? Would those be as successful?
4: No, so definitely not. Money is one example, but there are many other examples. First of all, there are many cases in, in which money is bad. Right. So think back about that blood donation that I told you about that we discussed. The $50 could be bad incentive for me, but if you'll give me a coffee mug with the blood bank logo on it that costs ten dollars. Now every morning that I'll drink coffee, I'll say, wow, oh, you're a good guy. You know, I'll drink for my coffee. I'm a good guy, right? I donated blood. And when I go to a meeting, I don't have to tell my coworkers that I donated blood. I just put the, the mug on the desk. So that's an example for non-monetary thing that can really uh, achieve uh, what you want to get. There are many uh, funny examples of using money. So imagine that Bruce will invite me to help him or will ask me to help him move his sofa. We'll, I'll do that, and then at the end, you'll we'll say, okay, here's 10 pounds for you. That would be very insulting, because it means that we're not friends. and just, you know, we just work for her. If you buy me beer that costs five pounds, that will be fine. Imagine that you go to dinner at your, uh, whatever, at your friend's house. They ask you to bring a bottle of red wine. Usually you buy, I don't know, 20- bottle of wine but this time you got stuck at work and you didn't have time so you get to them say sorry i didn't have time but here's 20 pounds that would be very strange again right so using money in many cases signals something uh, different there is a clip from seinfeld that i really like in which uh, jerry has to buy a birthday gift to elaine and she was his girlfriend before now she's just uh, just friends so he goes with george and he says no this she is, first of all, he says, look, she's going to bring experts from all over the world. That's the four of us, right? To, to actually look at the gift and interpret the, the signal, right? And then they go, no, this is too romantic. No, this is too, you know. And at the end, he gives her money. And she's she's really upset and said, well, are you my uncle, right? So in many cases, money as a message that you don't want to send. It's uh, in terms of the, the psychologists call it exchange economy, in which, you know, when I go to the supermarket to buy milk, I'm not a friend of the cashier. I'm paying money. But the other one is uh, communal, what's called communal. And that's you know, what you do with friends. When you are with friends, you usually don't use money. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. When I Again, when I go to the supermarket, I don't want them to expect me to, to help them. I want to pay money. I'm really happy with the exchange. Right? In many of the companies, most of the companies that I interact with, I'm completely fine with the exchange. In this case, don't ask me to do other stuff. Well, there are many examples of that, but don't ask me to, as if we are friends. We're not friends. I, I'm paying money. You're giving the service. We are all happy. That's a good relationship. Why should we ruin it? But in other cases, when we are in a communal, don't try to do it. And then it's really, the signals are really important. Imagine that I'll go for a vacation over, for, over the weekend and ask my assistant to stay and work. Then when I come back on Monday, I'll give him $10 he'll be very insulted by that. because so the, the signal that I send is, look, your weekend is worth $10 to me. If I'll give him a chocolate that costs $10, that will be okay. But in this case, if I'll give him, like in the blood case, if I'll give him $10,000, he'll be happy. So the, the signal that I'm sending, you know, we have kind of, so the... My assistant, we have some kind of a weird relationship because it's clearly exchange. He works there for money. I work there for money. But but it's also communal. We see each other every morning. We chat. We gossip. So it's it's kind of weird, right? So giving him $10 will be a bad signal. Giving him $10,000 will be a great signal. He'll be very happy with it. Other cases, just offering any compensation. So imagine that you find someone uh, as a sexual partner and you're interested in them and you're offering them money, right? No matter how much you're going to offer, you might be... It might increase your chances, but it's definitely not going to be a good signal, right? So the, the kind of interaction you're in really determines the signal that you're sending.
2: So in workplaces specifically, I feel like it gets complicated because you are there to earn money, but there's also the idea that you should be there for some greater purpose. So how do you get around that part? How are bosses supposed to incentivize their staff without just going, okay, I'll give you 100K pay rise every year?
4: So one thing that, uh, that is used, and I talk about it in the book, is awards, right? So you can think about the awards that are given in many places, the employee of the month or the week or the year or whatever, things like that. And that's also, it's, it's a bit complicated because once you give it to someone, you don't give it to others, and they might be insulted that, uh, that you didn't give it to them because they are clearly better than the person who, who received it. But still, it's a signal that you're doing a good job, and at least for me, that's something that, like we said before, is really important. If you'll offer me a $500 bonus or an award saying that I'm a good employee, I'll take the award, right? I uh, I really appreciate it, appreciate things like that, right? So there are ways of, of saying it, so... Here comes the culture a bit, again, being from Israel, and what I say that in a talk, when I finish a talk in Israel, and if one of my friends will come and tell me, that was an okay talk, that will be an equivalent to an American telling me that was the best talk I've ever heard, right? It was amazing, right? So there is a cultural aspect to this. But if your boss praises you, if my dean will tell me, oh, a good job. Uh, you know, I know that she really means it, and that will be that will make me feel good. I see it as a very positive incentive, right? So there are ways, non-monetary ways, to do it. Also, uh, you know, I can give you the afternoon off, or I can, I can offer you something that doesn't have to be money, but could show appreciation.
3: You've talked about kind of gaming the system before, and I think it's such a fascinating thing to be thinking about, especially with bonuses. I think often bonuses are kind of where the rubber meets the road with this, because there's such a assumption in many companies around bonuses, especially if they already have a bonus system, making any changes to that can be really disruptive because it's often built into contracts and people will invariably try and game the system when it comes to bonuses, not even maliciously, but but why wouldn't you? How How can companies think about bonuses in a more holistic way as part of a system alongside other reward, recognition, and incentives so that it doesn't all often come down to this moment. Is that a way to maybe stop people gaming the system because there are other things at play?
4: So one of the things I think that you're referring to is expectations. Right, so imagine that the clean person that, that helps us with our house in December, I'll give them a $1,000 uh, gift for the holiday. That will be very generous. They'll be very, very happy. No question about this. What will happen come next December? Let's say that that person expected $500 and received $1,000 last year. Now they're going to expect $1,000. Anything below it will be a disappointment, right? So that's what happens with bonuses very often, that your expectations are going up and uh, it's a race that the employer not necessarily can win right? So the, in order for a bonus to be a bonus, in a sense, it needs to be a surprise that relative to what was before. And sometimes it's it's hard, right? So it's good to set the expectations at least right. So I can tell you, look, hey, Matt, this year we had great performance. Or look, this year, this project that you worked on was huge success and I really appreciate it. So here's a thousand dollars in this example. And make sure that you don't, not that you don't, see it now as part of your compensation going forward. But that was something that you did really. So I attach it to one thing that really happened and we had a great year or whatever. And understanding that if next year it won't be that good, maybe I won't be able to give you right? So setting the expectations with bonus is really important. Sometimes it's just part of the contract and that's the way, say that Bruce is better than you, but I have to pay everyone the same. Maybe I can give Bruce a, a bonus at the end of the year, right? So that's part of the contract that could be, and it could be, but in other cases, just set expectations.
3: Otherwise, it's not a bonus. It's just part of right. the contract. You almost, we, we've talked previously around not expecting discretionary effort and the idea of going above and beyond as being a baseline expectation. It feels like if we're going to talk about above and beyond, then we need to have above and beyond reward mechanisms like a bonus.
4: Right. But then make sure that it's clear that to set the expectations so they won't see this as part of the compensation going forward.
3: I wanted to jump back to a line you said, which was to understand the signal, you need to understand the culture, which I kind of had to sit with for a moment because I think it's just wonderfully put. And then what it prompted in my mind was almost the flip as well, that you need to understand the culture to Determine the right signal, and certainly from kind of our world of work, when we're thinking about company culture, just often see incentives totally at odds with the culture and the values that the company actually wants. And I think a, a great example is one you of, you used, which is we talk about wanting collaboration, but we actually end up set, praising people for hard work, late nights, um, working over the weekend, and we do that informally with. It could be, you know, the awards or the shout out. And then sometimes we even do it and reinforce it financially by bonusing that. I was wondering, were there any examples of companies you've come across where they're embedding their incentives to reinforce The culture and the values and what the value of that can be.
4: Right. So I think that that relates to what you said about the interaction of psychology and economics over here. How do you use the incentives not to crowd out behavior, but to get people to actually be more motivated? I think that that's really important. So uh, the award case could be something that uh, that could be. Look, I really work hard, and that, that helps. But th- that reinforces again. When I win the award, it's not just the money. It's really the award could also be just employee of the month without anything. With it could be could could in itself uh, things. But when you think about cultures in this way, think about competitive environment. So in the U.S., competitive is good. Being more competitive is good. At least for men. For women, it's sometimes thrown about. Right. So if uh, I teach negotiation, if I go into negotiation, I'll be very aggressive. They'll say, oh, he's a 56-year-old man with funny accent and gray hair. He is, he's a tough guy. If Alan will go as a young woman and use the same strategy, they'll use a very different adjective for that, right? So, But comp- being comp- the same is true for being competitive. But let's say that in the U.S., being competitive in general is considered good. But you can think about, I don't know, Thailand. I was there recently. Over there, being competitive, being aggressive is really front, right? So then the incentive that you give within the U.S., you can think about how gender is going to interact with this. If uh, I'll be very aggressive versus a woman will be very aggressive, are we going to be rewarded the same? And then between cultures, you know, in Thailand versus the U.S., in Thailand, being aggressive and competitive is actually not, not desirable. Right. So when you design the incentives, you really need to understand how they work. Now, in the U S, going back to the U S, the, the competitive incentives could be in line with the culture and can really get you to do what you want. Right. So that would be a fine. If I'll tell you, you know, you're a salesperson and I'll tell you the first one to reach a million dollar in sale this year is going to get a car. That will be competitive and that will be great. People will, will think that that's fine maybe in other cultures it will be less. Other cultures within the US or in Thailand will not be as acceptable.
3: makes me think about this well-deserved push for more work-life balance and how we send the signals for those types of behaviors. So traditionally, we'd see people being praised for above and beyond and staying late, wanting to see more people being praised for Shutting their laptop, you know, at the right time for going and saying they're going to go pick up their kids so they're not going to be online. It just feels like there's a need to be even more conscious and intentional about these signals because they're less visible often at work now. No one knows when I close my laptop compared to when Ellen does or when Bruce does. And it feels like at all levels, people can start to send signals. It feels very empowering, I think. You know, we don't have to, it's not all going to come down to money. And if I'm a middle manager and I don't have the power to change the boat, system, it still feels like there's something we can all do to send signals to impact our culture positively.
4: Absolutely. Let me, you know, a few things about that. So an example that I heard recently and I really like. So imagine that you're in a Zoom call at 10 a.m. Matt, you are attending to a one-year-old, you know, helping him eat during the Zoom call. People will say, oh, he's so great, right? I imagine the talent will do this. They'll say, really? 10 a.m.? Right? So that's just, uh, you know, again, the gender the gender stuff becomes, you know, uh, really interacts uh, with this these, with these thing. In general, my wife uh, just showed me something that I really like, Jomo. You know what Jomo is? Joy of missing out. Exactly. Exactly, so that's something that uh, i I really like it, right That's something that we all you know I can think about my friends in a conference in i don't know in some dark place, dark, cold place, and I'm here in San Diego, right? I can feel good about this and incentivizing something like this is not bad, right don't in general, I think that the workplace was designed by men in the after World War two you know. Four men think about madmen. You know, you go to drink with your friends after that, and then you take the train to the suburb. You get home, the kids are already in their PJ clean and come give you a kiss. They go, and then dinner is served. That's those are good life, right? Unfortunately for us men, the, the world has changed, right? Now, uh, yeah, now we have to do something also at home, but the mentality of work hours. Remained in many places. No one in, especially not in works in which you need to think. No one is productive for 15 hours a day. So the Wall Street people that work for 15 hours a day, they drink more coffee. They check their social media accounts. They play games that you cannot concentrate for that long, right? So if I would have started a company, I would say you have to work from, you have to be there at nine till five. Then I expect you to work, take a lunch break, but then, you know, I expect you to work. And after that, I don't want you to work. I don't want to set the expectation. In many cases, you know, think about this Wall Street thing. You're a junior person. You're done with work for today. There's nothing you can do. But your boss is still uh, sitting in her office uh, next to you, and she'll see that you're leaving. How are you going to feel about that, right? So that's, that's the kind of things that the culture is like that. It should be. The boss should say, look, enough for today. Go have fun, come back fresh tomorrow, right? So that's, and, and that could be and should be reinforced with incentive. The, the example of the boss doing this is a good example of incentives, right? Because I, don't, I want my boss to think that I'm doing what uh, they expect expected.
3: I'm just constantly feel like I'm going to be seeing signals everywhere. I partly think about a designer probably noticing every colors. I imagine Uri, anywhere you go, you read a message and it's kind of like behind the matrix seeing those signals.
4: Different people have different fun in their life.
3: Thank you. <laughs> To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com
2: slash weight loss.
1: Thank you to Uri. Any thoughts on the conversation? I loved it. I kind of going into it when you initially
2: said we're going to chat about incentives, I wasn't as excited as perhaps <laughs> as perhaps you were, Matt. Um, I think I kind of thought of them as such a commercial thing of, you know, if you buy this, we'll give you a free key ring or something really like basic like that. But hearing Uri talk about the different kind of methods that could be used to incentivize things in the world of work um, and also the fact that it's not just monetary things was really fascinating for me. And it really has made me think a lot about what again what we're incentivizing incorrectly what we're getting wrong about incentives so yeah really fascinating talk
1: it's so intriguing isn't it when you start unpicking it i've i've seen people in the past say that any sort of incentive is pretty quickly deconstructed by the people it's applied to and they feel like hang on you're trying to manipulate me you just you're just trying to hold a, a little toy for the cat to play with and and they rise above it. And it's why organisations like Netflix say, listen, we're not going to give you any bonus. There's no bonus scheme because we believe that no one will work one bit harder than they were going to work anyway. You know, like the idea that a chief executive or anyone down really would would strive harder just because someone's dangling a carrot in some front of them, to some extent is is maybe a bit of an insult. But all things considered, when organisations do have incentives, it's... Interesting to try to think of whether the incentives that are in place are actually encouraging or or maybe hindering the the way that you're trying to work. And so on the basis of that, I still, I'm still i still sort of in two minds. I don't know, to be honest, whether incentives work or not. But on the basis of that, it's just in, so intriguing to see someone who's tried to deconstruct maybe the unintended consequences of some of these things and how they play out.
3: One of the things I found fascinating about Uri's work is a realization that just because you haven't designed an incentive doesn't mean there isn't one so if we he gives the example of the bus drivers if you pay them by the hour then they're going to go quite leisurely and probably have quite a good uh, customer rating in terms of you know health and safety speed but they're not going to get around as fast and that's not really an incentive you've just that's how you've designed their pay structure that's you 've designed their employment in such a way that incentivizes them to care more about um certain things, whereas if you had designed the pay incentive kind of more gig economy that actually it's about how many deliveries you get to they're going to get completely different outcomes so I'm interested Bruce, when you talk about certain companies maybe not designing them, and I get that from a almost behavioral economic standpoint of it you know we don't want to. Uh, sound like we're patronizing. But now kind of with Uri's mindset uh, slotted firmly inside my brain, I start to think, okay, but what are the signals you're sending anyway? If you're paying people to do a nine to five, then they're going to be incentivized to do a certain type of work. So yeah, it's really hard. I kind of talked at the end about this almost matrix moment, maybe with Uri, where it's really hard to now not see all of the signals out in the world.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's about like their targets as well. Like every place that I've worked, the targets have been, and for context, I'm talking about online journalism, the targets are so much on page views. How many people can you get to just read this piece? And it's a lot harder, obviously, to incentivize things like quality and doing really important, meaningful work. So I'm fascinated to think about how could journalism start to incentivize that kind of thing? Workplaces could actually incentivize and reward those things and show significantly this is genuinely what we're valuing. It's not just about number of articles created or output in general. It's more about the impact of it.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And and look, the truth is there's an incentive there whether you want it or not. And it just makes you think whether it's the bus driver or whether it's the articles being written. If you want something different, so if you do want a bus journey to be optimized for customer, for passenger happiness, then to some extent that needs to be explicit, I guess, because... Otherwise, people might not have that as a priority. And, and so, yeah, I, I do get what, what you push back on that, Matt, that incentives exist whether you create them or not. I think, I think that's probably the, the, overall, the overall finding for me.
3: And he talks about uh, signals as a good example in the book where he refers to, I think it's either a lawyer or an accountant and having tattoos or not having tattoos. And having a tattoo sends a signal of a certain type now that signal is interpreted differently by the audience and by who you're working with some people interpret that signal in a negative way others interpret it maybe in a nonchalant way nowadays but certainly we're always sending signals you know with Ellen with her pink hair that's a signal and I think right we're gonna have a good conversation (laughs) this is gonna be fun and yeah I just love this idea of we're kind of always sending signals and in a weird way we're designing ourselves to send the types of signals that we want to send. So with my tattoos, with yeah, the way I look, I'm sending signals to hopefully be received in the way that I want to put myself out there. So yeah, again, I just feel like I'm in in this matrix moment of
1: everything's a signal. Yeah, I was I was really struck by I was thinking about that the the message that we tried to send sometimes to ourselves, sometimes to other people. It's very easy actually to start watching and interpreting the act. Someone told me this week of a charitable donation they gave, and there's a signal to that, isn't there? Because there's a signal not only to themselves, but the fact they tell you. And look, I'm not remotely saying that we shouldn't do charitable things, but it's so interesting to hear the 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 lens that we should look at those things.
2: Well, Even with the charity example, literally today, someone asked for donations to their fundraiser for a really good cause. And I noticed that when I was putting the money in, it gave the option of, do you want your name displayed? Do you want to give them permission to send you a message to say thank you? I was thinking after that chat like oh god i do want my name there and i do want the tick but like why like what does that mean about me that i only really want to do it if i get some kind of validation or praise back so you're right i think again matt your matrix moment i am deep in that as well
1: fabulous great suggestion for a guest and thank you to uri for taking the time to chat to us thanks for listening i've been bruce daisley
2: i'm ellen
0: scott
1: and i'm matt cook see you next time